This week's episode is dedicated to our Uncle Eric and his dog Herbie, who tragically both passed away on Tuesday. As perfect an example of a man and his dog as you could hope to meet. The Watership Down podcast is intended for listeners who are familiar with the plot. There will be spoilers. This episode is recorded, edited and narrated by Newell Fisher. It is scripted by Newell Fisher and Eric Steps, and this week's featured picture is by Dalabar. Hello, and welcome to the Watership Down podcast, episode 132, in which we will be looking at season one, episode 10 of the TV series, and episode 10 of the series overall, A Tale of a Mouse. The appeal for the Rabbit Welfare Association and Fund has been running for four months now, and I've decided to bring it to a close. We've raised £171 for the Rabbit Welfare Association and Fund in that time, and I hope we've helped to raise awareness of the issues surrounding rabbit welfare during that time. The link to the RWAF will remain as a permanent feature in the notes. And as a closing piece of advice from this worthy charity's campaign entitled A Hutch Is Not Enough, the bare minimum space recommended for a pet rabbit is easy to remember. Three metres by two metres by one metre high. Three, two, one. Pass it on. I'm still showcasing Watership Down themed art. Again, details in the notes. Please let me know if you'd li- you would like your Watership Down themed art to appear as the podcast title image for an episode with full credit given. This week's featured picture is by Dalabar of YouTube Comments fame, who is on Instagram as Deeply Demented Dalabar, all one word. Dalabar warns that their Instagram account tends to be a bit darker and more mature, and un- understood if I did not want to publicise the link, but I always give full credit to anyone who allows me to use their artwork, so the link will be in the notes. Please take this as a fair warning. So, before we get back to Watership Down, let's revisit Ephrafa. Eric Stepp's Visit to England, Part 4. Day 4. Ephrafa, Keyhar Bridge, the River Test, Watership Down Inn and Whitchurch. Quote. On the last day of our tour, it was the turn of Ephrafa and the River Test. For this, we had to drive about 25 kilometres, 16 miles, to the town of Overton. After some difficulties to find a parking place, I was able to find a parking possibility directly at the Test, thanks to the help of local res- the local residents. From here, a path led directly to Ephrafa, or the Crixa, as described in the book, the intersection of two, way- two waypoints. On the way, we passed some fields and also crossed the railroad line over, the bri- over a bridge. This, of course, is the one that so unexpectedly aided Holly and his group in their escape from Ephrafa. Ephrafa itself is idyllically situated in the middle of a small grove at the meeting point of the two crossroads, again referred to as the Watership Down, in, as the Watership Down Trail. In fact, Ephrafa is depicted in the film as much more desolate than it is in reality, probably because of the gloomy mood and oppressive character. The environment is almost fairy tale like and very soothing. The area comes close to a beach hangar on the beach hangar on Watership Down. Again and again, also hikers with dogs appear. Here I read again a passage, the one at which Woundwort found the Ephrafra enclosure. After that, we continued our way through the, full, uh, the small forest, encountering all sorts of fallen trees and rampant tree fungi. At one point, however, we had to step out through the forest and in, onto the nearby field because our next goal was to find the railroad bridge that plays such a prominent role in the book and movie. 
In the meantime, however, the whole area around the bridge is private land. Thus, the bridge is heavily overgrown and not really recognisable as in the book or film of Ephrafa. So we walked across this field and here had our first encounter with a farmer who arrived on a tractor. We expected some trouble, but the farmer just got out, nicely explained the way we came out and then drove on. A reaction that would not have, that would not have expected so. In the end, we went back to the railroad track and then tried to get to the bridge via a nearby construction site along the field. This worked very well and we reached the bridge. The area under the bridge is completely overgrown with nettles, but we could still make our way in and even recognise the name Kihar Bridge, which someone had written in the masonry. The way to the test was unfortunately not possible because a paddock with a fence made it completely impossible to continue just after the bridge. Therefore, we went back and after a short hike, we were back at our car. Directly behind our parking lot, a small footpath led to the test and we followed it as well, as well and were able to explore at least one side arm of the test. Unfortunately, more was not possible. The area where the three bridges are located in the book and where the rabbits manage the daring escape across the river is unfortunately completely on private land, which is not accessible without permission of the owner. The access from the road that would lead across the test is closed with a large gate and of course it is impossible to try to enter there. Thus, the bridges over the test are the only places from the book that we could not reach. As compensation, we visited a pub with the nice name Warship Down Inn. This one is located halfway between Overton and Whitchurch in Freefolk. In fact, the whole inn is covered with pictures of rabbits, and there's even an interesting description of the characters that I haven't seen before. According to my brother, this description could be bought online. Here we had some lunch before heading to the last point of our tour, Whitchurch and the grave of Richard Adams. After some trouble to find a parking place near the church and a hike to the cemetery, we were faced with a big puzzle. The grave of Richard Adams, which should be here, was nowhere to be found. We searched the not exactly huge cemetery for 20 minutes. A picture from the internet could finally solve the mystery for now. The place where Richard Adams' grave was located had no gravestone, only some freshly thrown up earth with clay lumps. Even some local people could not solve the mystery. Somewhat dejected by this strange conclusion, I would have liked to pay Richard Adams the tribute he deserved, we, we drove back, but were able to make one more interesting discovery. Not far from the cemetery, there was a new residential area where the main street was nicely named Richard Adams Way. And not enough with this. Other lanes were all named after characters from the book. There was a Fiver Close, a Pipkin Gardens, a Blackberry Lane and even a Buckthorn Road. That was a nice end for our visit of the Watership Down locations, which I would say was a huge success with only a few disappointments concerning the bridges over the test and the missy of Richard Adams' grave on the last day. End quote. Thank you so much, Eric. That concludes the account of his visit to the UK and has made me very curious about the area he visited on his last day, which I know very little about. I hope to take his advice when I eventually explore the Afrafa landscape myself. Excellent work, and I am officially placing Eric in charge of wide patrols. So then, let's see how it's going on Watership Down. Season 1, Episode 10 A Tale of a Mouse the tenth episode of the Watership Down TV series was first broadcast in the UK on the 30th of November 1999. It was written by Mary Crawford and Alan Templeton. There will be a link to the full episode on YouTube in the notes. The title of this episode is a bit strange. Yes, it features a mouse, but she is not really central to the story. Then again, as we progress through the series, the titles of episodes and even their order is going to become increasingly an issue. So perhaps this is yet more foreshadowing of things to come. 
Overall, though, I like this episode, as, although it veers decisively away from the events of the novel, it does so by taking a tale of El Acrera, or El Ra, as we are supposed to call him in this context, and using that tale as the inspiration for a complex raid on Nuthanger Farm. The YouTube version of this episode uses the original opening title sequence, and then features Mike Batt's song A View From A Hill, sung by Paul Carrick, though in the soundtrack album it is sung by Mike Batt himself. This is accompanied by a sequence of shots of the rabbits I've watershiped down, seemingly from throughout the series. The end of the song then transitions to the opening of the actual story. However, in my 2005 DVD version, the song A View From A Hill is missing, and the usual opening titles are replaced with a mashed-up version of Bright Eyes that I frankly didn't like, accompanied by a different sequence of shots from the series that also include Woundwart. This seems to be the start of DVD versions of the series playing around with the material presented and even resequencing episodes. I will be sticking with the order in which episodes were first broadcast, but pointing out any variances from this in the DVD version. In any case, as the actual action of the story begins, Kihar is apparently hunting two young rabbits. These are, of course, Primrose and Hazel's first litter, so apparently some time has passed, and Kihar is training them in hawk avoidance techniques, but is enjoying himself doing it. Nearby, Hazel, Primrose and Bigwig are watching. The loving couple are still wrapped up in themselves, as Primrose says Ephrafa never felt like home, but Bigwig interrupts them to tell them to watch Kihar's latest manoeuvre, which turns out to be crashing to the ground. He is impressed with the youngsters, who, Hazel says, are being taught everything Bigwig knows. Hawkbit jokes that won't take, as, take long as he plays with the two kittens. They seem to have put him in a good mood. Bigwig says at their age he was already raiding gardens for Flayrar. This leads, inevitably, to the idea that they should raid Nuthanger Farm and get some flavour for them. Hazel says this is their first day of peace and quiet. However, Fiverr points out that Bigwig has never been one for quiet reflection. Bigwig adds that reflection is for millponds. Hazel asks about the Nuthanger Farm dog, who he names as Duster. How would he know this? The dog is hardly likely to let them help themselves to flavour. Kihar also reminds him about the cat. He has a better idea. Apparently, he is going to fly to the pig water to get the young rabbit some fish. That should go well. In any case, using the simple plot device of Kihar using any excuse to visit the sea, he is removed from any involvement in what follows. Dandelion has been reminded of the story of Elara and Rousby Woof, which is now featured as the second story of Elara to be, to be animated, the tale of the blessing of Elara having opened the 1978 film. They all gather around as Dandelion begins. As we cut to the visualisation of the story, the voice of the storyteller seems to change from Phil Jupiter's to an uncredited voice actor. As before in this series, the characters of the story are shown as disjointed collections of shapes, which seem to emulate the shapes of the Warren of the Snares. This is a much shortened version of the tale of Rousby Woof, in which Elorar and Rabscuttle simply persuade him to dig his way out of the fenced cabbage patch he is guarding, so they can use the tunnel to get in. Elorar does this by tucking his ears under his chin so that he looks like a dog. He then announces to Rousby Woof that he is his fairy bog dog. Now, the word used in the novel isn't bog. It is a similar word that is also used as a racial slur. These days, some might call this wokery, or political correctness as it used to be called. I'd call it an example of sensitivity to changing societal standards in an animation aimed at children, many of whom would not be white, from, check's notes, nearly a quarter of a century ago. In any case, 
the fairy Bog Dog announces to Rousby Woof that the Queen of Dogs, Her Royal Majesty Drip Slobber, wishes to give him a treat for his cabbage guarding prowess. She will be passing the crossroads nearby shortly on her way to the Great Bark and Scratch. Ellera tells him she might be late, but he must wait, otherwise the treat will go to the yappy terrier up the lane. Enthusiastically, Rousby Woof digs his way under the fence, and after an assurance that the fairy Bog Dog will look after the cabbages until he returns, he is gone. And so, Ellera and Rabscuttle have a field of cabbages all to themselves, and a very slow trip home. Dandelion ends his tale, and one of the kittens asks Bigwig what Flayra is. The literal Lapine translation is food chief, or as we might say, luxury food. Bigwig's explanation is simpler. It is vegetables only grown by humans, and worth raiding for. He has got a taste for some now, so off he goes. He is joined by Hazel, Fiverr and Hawkbit, who tells Dandelion that the problem with his stories is that they make everyone want to be LRR. At Nuthanger Farm there is a fenced enclosure in which the Flayrar is being grown, because we are in that alternative universe where rabbits travel for miles to get hold of some. In the Britain I live in, vegetables are rarely fenced off in this way unless rabbits are living very close by. The rabbits are watching by a hedge nearby. Hawkbit asks who is going to be the fairy bog dog. Bigwig volunteers and uses his finest falsetto to try and wake up Duster, who is asleep in the enclosure. It seems Duster cannot understand them, so how will they fool him? Final wonders why dogs can talk in the LRRR stories, but not in real life. Hazel theorises that he used to be able to, but gave up all things dog to serve humans. A 1960s-style crudidoo passing through the farm makes the rabbits take cover. In the kitchen of the farmhouse, Hannah the Mouse emerges. She has been waiting for the humans to leave so she can have a little raid of her own. As she approaches an open bread bin, the cat appears and gives Hannah a heads up by not being able to resist calling her a meowsy morsel. Hannah runs into the bread bin and seems unconcerned. She has all the food she needs and will worry about the cat later. The rabbits approach the enclosure at its southern side and hide by a wheelbarrow on its side. Duster is waking up from his sleep by the eastern side. Bigwig has an idea. He will show himself to the dog, taunting it to dig under the fence and chase him. Hawkbit is sceptical as to the safety of this approach. Bigwig says they will all hide and wait until the dog wanders off, then use his tunnel to get in. Hale is unsure, but Bigwig goes for it anyway, taunting the dog, who is currently rolling in dirt, until he sees him and runs to that side of the fence, barking furiously. Overcoming his fear, Bigwig tries to get the dog to dig under the fence. The others join him. As the dog tries jumping over the fence without success, they discuss how stupid he is. Hazel takes over, trying to mime a digging action to indicate to Duster how he can get himself some nice juicy rabbit, but he still doesn't take the hint. In the farmhouse, Hannah is having a bread feast. The cat notices the commotion at the vegetable patch and sees the rabbits. She decides on a change of menu from mouthful of meows to long ear lunch and jumps out of the window. Hannah wonders why the cat has given up so quickly. Then she goes to the window and sees. Her warning can't be heard over the dog, so she pushes a plant pot off the windowsill. The noise alerts Hazel, and they run back to the brambles, Br'er Rabbit style. But Fiverr has been too slow. The, rabbit, the cat sees him and runs back towards the vegetable patch. Looking back as he runs, he collides with the wheelbarrow, which falls on him, upside down. He is safe from the cat, but trapped. She taunts him while reaching under the barrow, and refers to herself as Tabitha. In the brambles, Hawkbit is waxing sarcastic about how, how Ella Ra would praise their raiding tactics. Hazel shuts him up. 
Hannah appears and offers a further critique, to which Hazel has no real answer. He has an idea, but they will need to get a message to Fiverr. From under the wheelbarrow, Fiverr tells Tabitha she smells of fish, probably not an insult for a cat. Hazel's plan begins. He and Bigwig will creep round to the other side of the vegetable patch, then Hawkbit will distract the cat. Nothing fancy, says Bigwig. Hawkbit says he doesn't plan on playing bobstones with it. The plan is for Hannah to get word to Fiverr while the cat is distracted. When Hazel checks if she is OK with this, she says how else are they going to get a message to Fiverr, using the ringing box? Hazel doesn't understand the reference, and it, it occurs to me the younger among you might not either. She means a telephone, or landline as we say nowadays. Hannah sets off for the wheelbarrow. Meanwhile, Bigwig sneaks around the western side of the vegetable patch. As Hannah approaches the barrow, Hawkbit barges her into the cat and runs. Unfortunately, Tabitha notices Hannah trying to crawl under the barrow and catches her by the tail with a classic quip, Tail of a mouse, a sad tail indeed. Fiverr distracts the cat by kicking the side of the barrow with his hind legs and she releases Hannah's tail. Hannah delivers the message that Fiverr needs to dig under the fence and under the dog. As a side note for those of you not in the UK, Hannah's accent is from the actor Jane Horrocks' native Lancashire in the north of England. This is why she tells Fiverr to dig under the fence rather than under the fence. Bigwig, at the western side of the vegetable patch, is also digging under the fence. He is joined by Hawkbit, who says he has a talent for cat bumping. He adds that Bigwig has a talent for digging. In fact, he is almost as good as a doe. His humour is greeted by a clod of earth in the face. Hazel checks the southern side. The cat and dog are sitting on their sides of the fence by the wheelbarrow. Hazel says they may make Ella Rao proud of them yet. As long as cats and dogs keep behaving like cats and dogs, adds Hawkbit. Bigwig breaks through the other side of the fence among some carrots. He sets about passing some of these through the fence while they wait for Fiverr to break through. Fiverr's digging is going well, though I do wonder where all the earth is going as he has dug from under the wheelbarrow. He asks Hannah if she thinks he has gone far enough. She points out that she is not a mole. Fiverr risks breaking through and comes up among cabbages. He spots Bigwig on the western side and they move towards him. The dog sniffs the air. His ears prick up. He turns and snarls, then pursues Fiverr and Hannah. They make it to Bigwig's hole, rapidly followed by Bigwig, just in time, but not before he passes one last carrot out. The enraged dog runs at the fence as they emerge on the other side, colliding with it and shaking his head. Bigwig tells them to grab a carrot each and they run for cover. The dog, frustrated, sniffs around the vegetable patch. It finds the other tunnel, dug by Fiverr, and sees the cat waiting patiently on the other side of the fence. In the undergrowth, the rabbits catch their breath. They are about to have dinner and a show. The dog stares at the hole, then at the cat, then at the wheelbarrow. The cogs of its brain turn. It starts a process of, what should I call it, tunnel widening? The rabbits are impressed. The cat, hearing a bang under the wheelbarrow, starts taunting again. The rabbits smile. Hawkbit can barely watch. From under the wheelbarrow emerges a very angry dog who pursues the cat into the farmyard. Hannah, sitting on Bigwig's head, blows a raspberry. The rabbits laugh. Back on the down, it is sunset. The two rabbit kittens are munching on a carrot while Bigwig recounts their adventure. Hannah says cat now knows how mouse feels. Bigwig wants to do it again. Hazel says to perhaps finish these carrots first. Primrose wonders how Bigwig got to live to the age he is if he was raiding at her kitten's age. Hawkbit says it is because he is pure of heart. They are interrupted by Kihar, 
who lands spluttering with a live fish in his mouth. He deposits it by the kittens, who return unimpressed to their carrot. Unfazed, he tosses the fish in the air and swallows it whole. The rabbits laugh as the sun sets. Is it canon? This episode features the first portrayal of a tale of Elahuera on film, other than the blessing of Elahuera. So yes, even though its telling is very truncated, with no mention of Rousby Wolf's owner or the house by the vegetable patch, and Elahuera's disguise being far simpler than Elahuera's, that element of the episode is very much canon. The subsequent raid, inspired by the tale of Rousby Wolf and the fairy... dog, is obviously not canon but I like its representation of myth being used as inspiration for practical action, because surely that is one of the purposes of myths and legends. In any case, mostly not canon, but with one highly canonical element. Next time. The rabbits of Watership Down discover a hidden world under their warren, and the Ephraphans almost discover them. <laughs>